Let's take our Bibles and go back to the Gospel of John in the 20th chapter. With the introduction to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and to this chapter in the Bible, we can quickly look at these first 10 verses about the empty tomb. The apostles are verifying the empty tomb reported to them, first of all, by Mary Magdalene. The first two verses are Mary informing them. John chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, while it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. So that's Mary Magdalene bringing report to Peter and John. It says here that it was the first day of the week, our Sunday, the day after the Sabbath of the Jews. Crucifixion week was past. The disciples, both men and women, had wondered for three days and three nights about the Lord Jesus Christ and what was going to happen to them, what was going to happen in the future. Remember, they did not believe the Scriptures, Old Testament, or the things that Jesus had said. Salvation from such confusion, doubt, and fears to believe His Word and love Him. Whatever He has said to you, believe it and love Him. He'll show you what else you need to know for the comfort of your souls as He did them. They were away from home since most of them lived in Galilee, so they were 70 miles south in Jerusalem or Bethany. This day is Sunday, following the Jewish weekly Sabbath, when they had rested. There were two days of rest, and in between them was a work day, which we'll get to at some other time. I don't want to distract you from the Lord Jesus Christ, love of Mary Magdalene, knowing the three days and the three nights versus two days and two nights, or one day and two nights, is of little consequence in comparison to loving the Lord Jesus Christ. You already believe that he's the Son of God, but let's love him like the Son of God. And I will get to it, and I have got to it before, and it is and has been on our website for you to look at. After watching his burial, they had rested Thursday, which was the high Sabbath. They had worked on Friday buying and preparing spices, and they had rested the weekly Sabbath. And so here they are on the first day of the week. We're Christians. And since Jesus quickly exalted the first day of his week by his resurrection and appearing to his apostles, we have made it the Lord's day. We understand Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10, where it uses the terminology the Lord's day to be the first day of the week, the day in which Jesus Christ showed himself alive and met with his apostles later in the evening, as we'll find in John chapter 20 and verses 19 and 26. We reject and resent any effort to exalt or recover the Jewish seventh-day Sabbath, which is another subject for another time. Cometh Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene, out of whom the Lord had cast seven devils. She had been given over to Satan in the choice of God for her life, and she had lived a sinful life, and the Lord Jesus Christ saved her, and she loved him for that. She is not the woman in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, that was a great sinner in a certain city and washed the feet of Jesus. But she certainly fulfilled the axiom that Jesus gave that day, and those that are forgiven much love much, because Mary Magdalene did. 
We have Mary Magdalene spoken of more than the Lord Jesus Christ's own mother, Mary. There's another Mary mentioned, and you know what she's often called? The other Mary. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, but just the other Mary compared to, compared to Mary Magdalene. And I truly meant what I said when I closed the first service. I want each of you, and I want to be more like Mary Magdalene in passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. She was from Magdala, so she was called Mary Magdalene. That just identified her like Jesus of Nazareth, identified him as the Joshua or Jesus from the city of Nazareth near the Sea of Galilee. When it was yet dark, the stone was rolled away. He was gone when it was yet dark. The idea of sunrise services and Jesus coming up as the sun rose that way, if you've ever been to a sunrise service, they don't have it in the dark. They have it when the sun is rising and you get to look at it in the east. And I've been to them and we can read about them in Ezekiel chapter 8 when men had their backs to the temple of the Lord and looked at the sun in the east. The only time it's in the east is when it's rising. But they looked at the rising sun, they sang hymns to it, and they think that Jesus rose then. But we know that Jesus didn't rise then, and he was long gone. The women didn't see an earthquake, they didn't feel an earthquake, they didn't hear an earthquake, they didn't see an angel that sat on the stone and rolled it away out front of the tomb, even though in Matthew 28 you might think so. But when you're reading Matthew 28, that event took place before, and the angel was there on the stone that he rolled out of the way, to frighten the soldiers that were there by the Roman governor. And they went into a state of paralysis for a while. They were like dead men because of the force and presentation that the angel chose for them. Now, when you read Matthew 28, and you read verse 1, it's got the women listed. Then verse 2 begins this earthquake thing. And then about verse 5 it says that the angel spoke to the women, but it wasn't the angel sitting on the stone. It's an angel later when they go into the tomb. And, they, and you just got to put all the passages together to get the overall course of events of Jesus Christ's resurrection. What is very interesting about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one of the things that is very interesting is that they... They, they or the women, nor the women, saw Jesus rise from the dead, and neither did they take even a phrase to describe how or when he did it. If you were wanting to concoct a story, wouldn't you put your most emphasis on when and how this person rose from the dead? They don't even touch when he did it. It's just that when the women got there, he was already gone. It was dark, the stone was already removed, because they were thinking about that, but they do not say anything about when he actually did it. So they don't construct anything but what is visible to their eyes there in the tomb. It's just one more evidence that it's real, and it's a closed case. Case closed. Jesus rose from the dead. And John 20 tells us the truth about it. We appreciate Mary Magdalene from Galilee. That's where Magdala is, and her love of the Lord Jesus Christ and the things that the Bible tells us about her. Jesus saved harlots and wicked, sinful women, and he cast seven devils out of this one, as Luke chapter 8 tells us and Mark 16, 9 tells us. And we appreciate her and how the Lord focused attention on her, especially in John's gospel right here. She stood beside Mary, the mother of Jesus, and it tells us that in John 19, verse 25, when Jesus spoke from the cross and assigned 
his mother to John, the son of Zebedee, and assigned John to his mother. And we assume she was among the women in the upper room at Pentecost because unless she had died, she would have been there. From everything else, we're able to read about her. She's prominent in all the accounts, but there were many other women also. But when the other Gospels list women, who starts the list? Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene. And it's not because the apostolic writers were Catholic. It's because the apostolic writers are telling us that this woman deserves special place at the front end of the list of the other women that followed Jesus. Those other women are going to come out to the tomb and are going to run back and tell the apostles. And Mary Magdalene is going to stay right there at the tomb wondering about her Lord. She doesn't believe the resurrection yet, but she wants to know where the body is so that she can take care of it. She wants to pour herself into taking care of even the remains of the Lord Jesus Christ being his body. We had a Mary in John 12, 3 that wanted to anoint his feet preparatory to burial. Mary Magdalene wanted to anoint the Lord Jesus Christ three days after burial because she didn't think 100 pounds of spices was enough. I like her attitude. You know, if you say, well, someone else is going to do that or someone else has said that or someone else will get up and participate and praise the Lord, why can't you follow them and do better? Follow them and do it your own way. Follow them and give your praise to the Lord. She didn't care that Nicodemus had brought 100 pounds. She was going to bring spices. She wanted to take care of her Lord's body. They come unto the sepulcher. I said they. How do I know it's a they? How do you know it's a they? How do you know I'm telling you the truth? Because of the we in verse 2. They came into the sepulcher and they see the stone taken away from the sepulcher because on the way there, as we heard this morning read to us, they were wondering who's going to roll the stone away because one of the gospel accounts said it was a very great stone to roll away. Why weren't they worried about the Roman soldiers? You had it read to you. Why weren't they worried about the seal? They were just going to rip through a pilot's seal to anoint the body of Jesus? Or did that happen after all the eyewitnesses were away from the tomb? So that that wasn't known. So all Matthew tells us that it happened after Joseph and Nicodemus had left the tomb. It happened the next day that those arrangements were made for the tomb so they didn't know about it. So it's telling us that they went to the grave knowing of only one thing in their way, one impediment, the stone, not the seal. So there wasn't all this information and there wasn't all these efforts made to concoct a story or to take away the body of Jesus. They didn't even really know what was going on. or They were going to be surprised by a guard. They were going to be surprised by a seal. But someone else had taken care of the guards and taken care of the seal, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He rose and made his bed and laid those clothes that he was in there and came up with some of his own. Because when Mary saw the gardener, he wasn't a naked gardener. He was dressed in his clothes, but his burial clothes were inside there, neatly folded and put where his body had been and put where his head had been. It's just beautiful. That's our Lord. That's our magnificent Lord. And angels came, and whatever he allowed angels to do for him, or what he did instead of them, they came and rolled the stone away and sat on it, and the keepers of the place trembled, and there was an earthquake, 
But the women say nothing about the earthquake. We only know there was an earthquake because God inspired Matthew to write us about three verses at the front end of Matthew 28 for us to know that. They didn't see it, feel it, hear it. It's just stuck in there. Because of these other accounts that we have, they did not hear the angels yet. They did not see the angels yet. They did not know where the Lord was yet. They just looked in and saw that it was empty. And Mary takes off first to find Peter and John. Let's go to verse 2. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. What is your gospel gate? Gate can be spelled a couple of different ways, and I'm referring to the one that is G-A-I-T. What is your gospel gate? When you know that you ought to do something to please the Lord, how do you do it? She knew how to do it. She ran. And so it says, she, then she runneth. Our gospel gate should be equivalent to Mary Magdalene's running. Christianity is not a resting, sitting, talking, or walking faith. It is a Christian race. She ran hers, and she continued to run hers, and she's going to provoke two men to run theirs. One faster than the other. Of course, we discover by reading about Mary Magdalene in this context and the other ones that she didn't really run for joy. She was running out of disbelief and fear, wondering where his body was. Not that he had risen from the dead according to his word. She came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Isn't it nice that Peter and John are back together again? They could have been in Jerusalem, probably in Jerusalem, because it was so close for Mary just to break off of the group of the other women and go tell uh, Peter and John. Remember, Peter had followed Jesus in his arrest in the city of Jerusalem, and John was at the cross for Jesus to speak to him. They may not have been in Bethany, which was two miles distance from the garden, rather than just a few hundred yards into the city. She comes to Simon Peter and the other disciple. The one that Jesus loved, that is John, the son of Zebedee. She says to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher. And we know not where they have laid him. She's out of fear for his body. You've got to help me. We've got to find the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not there. Men, it's not there. Peter, John, it's not there. Where'd they take him? I don't know where they take, took him. None of us know where they took him. He's just not there. I want you to remember something about these apostles. John is willing to company with Peter. Peter had just denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times with curses and oaths. And yet there's John and Peter, just like normal, working together, praying together, Peter had repented, and that's all that mattered to John, and that's all that matters to true Christians and true ministers. They understand the R factor of repentance. And so here's Peter, and we don't know his state of mind fully, except that when Jesus turned to look at him, and the cock crowed for the second time, and he had just denied the third time, he went out and wept bitterly. But John and he are reunited because Peter has repented by bitter weeping and they're together. 
and they're going to run together to the tomb. Verse 3, Peter therefore went forth, likely out of the city of Jerusalem and out of the place where they were hiding or keeping themselves during these three days and three nights. And the other disciple went with Peter and came to the sepulcher. Luke mentioned only Peter, and you had that read to you this morning. But like I said before, and I want to remind you, when you come through these resurrection accounts, and in some place it'll say Mary, in another gospel it will say Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, or it will say Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, and Salome, or it will say Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, or call her Mary the mother of Joseph, and then it will say, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward. See, the different Gospels give you different names, just like the Gadarene. See, I like the story of the single Gadarene better than the story of the double Gadarene. What, what do you like best? And I know my brother. That's one of his favorite stories in the Bible. We like the single guy better because I'm just one, and my brother is just one. So we like reading about the Lord crossing the Sea of Galilee in a storm for one man. And you can say to me, but it wasn't for one man, it was for two. And I'll say, amen, brother. <laughs> but I still like Mark's account better. Uh, and they're both scripture, and they're both true. And it's the same with Bartimaeus, the blind man, coming out of Jericho. There were two blind men that said the very things that blind Bartimaeus said. Jesus went over to him after he had been hollering for a good while about the son of David having mercy on him. What wilt thou that I do unto thee, Lord, that I might receive my sight? Be it unto thee as thou wantest. And he has his sight restored to him, but in one gospel it's one and a name is given. And another gospel, it's two and their names aren't given. We have Mary Magdalene right here, but you know there's Mary the mother of Joseph, Salome, Joanna, and others. Because some of the gospel accounts listed some names and said, and others. And we leave it at that. Peter therefore went forth in verse 3, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulcher. We're not surprised that Peter and John are together because they're two of our Lord's triumvirate. Peter, James, and John, the three chosen apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ that he showed things to that he didn't show to others. And they came to the sepulcher. They had heard Mary's frantic tone. So verse 4 tells us, they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. Who's the other disciple? The other disciple is the disciple Jesus loved. It's John, the son of Zebedee. It's our writer. But he doesn't tell us our name, but this is the second reference in two verses to himself in an anonymous way. Sort of. If you've read the whole Gospel of John, you know exactly who's talking. But he's sort of humble and modest. And he wants you to know, and he wants you to know three different times and three different ways that he was faster than Peter. It's actually, if you look at verse 4, so they both ran together and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. Well, there's two right there. We got an outrun and coming first. Then we got verse 6, then cometh Simon Peter following him. Then we've got verse 8, then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulcher. Let's call it four. We've got three verses and four occurrences of John wanting you to know he ran faster. I wish that I could give you something deep 
about this foot race that Peter and John had. However, they were not sitting in Jerusalem conspiring a resurrection story, nor were they walking along composing it on their way to the tomb because they were in a foot race. And John was ahead and Peter was behind. And so it was just an emotional reaction to Mary telling them that the tomb was empty. There wasn't a plan. Why were they racing? Why didn't they stay together? Why didn't John hold back for his brother Peter? Because this was all shocking news to them. This was not a planned event to pretend the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they both ran together and the other disciple that outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. Is there a reason why John was faster than Peter? He was younger because, and that's all we have to go on, and we don't have that proven to us except by church history, that John lived to 90 A.D. So in 30 A.D., let's just use approximate dates, six, how old was he? Maybe th- the Lord wouldn't have had an apostle under 30 because no one would have listened to him. So let's say he was 30. And Peter could have been 40 or Peter could have been 50. And anyone here that's 50 want to say that they can keep up with a 30-year-old that's highly motivated. Because Jesus loved John, did John love Jesus? To hear that the tomb was empty, John was motivated. We don't... I can't get any more profit out of it except to say to you that they were not walking along the way thinking, okay, what are we going to do with this story? What details do we want to give the public about where the body of Jesus went? They don't know where the body of Jesus went because they don't believe the scriptures and all they're going to be doing is looking for evidence that even a natural man would accept. It's going to tell us that. They don't believe the scriptures about the resurrection. Is that the, kind of, is that the kind of eyewitness you want to look at the details and to say that Jesus did rise from the dead? Not someone trying to prove that scripture is being fulfilled, but someone looking at evidence like burial clothes in detail. That was verse 4. Verse 5, and he stooping down and looking in. That's John. He got there first. You know there's so much that could be said about how we should run. They should run because there's no other gate or pace worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they should run together, helping each other forward in the Christian race. That's why we have a church, is to help each other. If you don't help other members every week in some way, shape, or form, why are you here? We don't need you. And Jesus doesn't want you. Church members help each other. Peter and John ran together. They both ran. Jesus understood The rule of Solomon, that two are better than one. When he commissioned the 70, he sent them out. What's the Bible expression? Two and two, which was two by two. He sent them out in pairs. And when we look at the Apostle Paul, he was a pair because we can help each other. Who was the pair for David in the Bible? Jonathan. He went into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. 1 Samuel 23, 16. Two can help each other up. Two can oppose an enemy. Two can celebrate the rewards of the gospel with each other. Two have synergistic ability. What's the synergistic ability of Peter and John? John is fast and Peter is bold. John pulled Peter along in speed and Peter showed John, you can come on in here and the boogeyman's not going to get you. Because John was afraid to go in, Peter wasn't afraid of anything much except a little maid saying, do you know who Jesus of Nazareth is? 
or I think you're one of his followers. And so two men synergistically in a church can help each other, and we put all of us together, we can help each other a lot. The wisdom of Solomon, two by two. He and he, that is John, stooping down, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying. John wants us to know that he looked in and he saw those linen clothes. That is weird. John's thinking, what are the linen clothes doing there? If someone stole his body, who wants to carry it naked when it's 72 hours old? If someone stole his body, what value are they going to get out of it at the flea market? Wouldn't they want to take the fine linen that was brand new? Mark 15, 46 tells us it was very fine linen that was brand new. Who would have the time with guards around this tomb to fold it neatly and to lay it back where it had been used? Who was so conscientious and careful about details? So John wants you to know, I peeked in. I didn't run in like my bold brother that's barreling up behind me, but I did look in and I saw the linen grave clothes. This is the Bible. I stare at the words and beg God, what does this mean? I'm not going to get rid of the verse. I'm not going to say this is redundant. I'm not going to look for a different translation that's reduced it to two verses or one that reduces it to one. The Reader's Digest Condensed Bible would only have one verse for this. We don't do that. We read it. And so John wants us to know because John's going to tell us about a conversion experience right here. John wants us to know he got there first, and he got down and he looked in. There's the burial clothes. The only way that could happen is if somebody got up and didn't like them and folded them up and put them back and left. A robber wouldn't do that. A robber would want the clothes. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus wouldn't have come and left their hundred pounds of spices and the fine linen. They'd have taken that with the body of Jesus. There's nobody that makes any sense to leave the linen clothes. He wants you to know that he's already starting to figure it out before his bold brother blows by him. I mean, why is he even talking about this foot race? I gave you the best that I can see from a criminal, I mean, from a investigating a scene of a crime. Verse 6, Then cometh Simon Peter following him, because John got there first, and outran Peter, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie. John wants you to know, Peter saw the same evidence that I did, but I believed. What, are, what kind of a church do we want to be? John is not saying this to make Peter look bad. John is just saying this, I, something was... I saw the evidence, and Peter's going to see the evidence. Peter's going to get his own personal appearing, and that may be why John wants to write it just this way, because Peter got his own sighting of the Lord Jesus Christ. He appeared first of all to Cephas. We don't, we don't know what the Lord allows these men to write about, but we do see a foot race here, and we do see, did I say four, references to the fact that John outran Peter. And, you know, Peter's the first pope, and for a man to say this... <laughs> This is, just, this is just wonderful. Why is John telling us all these details? Because we are looking at this. This is not a conspiracy. There is no collusion. They are they're different from each other. One gets there first. The other one goes in first. And the other one gets the courage up to go in there. And they're looking at the clothes. And they're, just, they're looking at evidence. They're looking at evidence. 
They're looking at evidence. They're not pulling out their Bibles. They're not pulling out their pocket Old Testaments. They're not pulling out their phone apps about Old Testament prophecies of Jesus. They're looking at evidence. The stones roll away. There's no body, and the grave clothes are weird. Flat out, folded neatly together and put back where the body was and where the head was. Strange. And that's what we have in verse 6. When Simon Peter, following him, and went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lie. The second mention. John saw it in verse 5. Peter saw it in verse 6. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. It was folded up in its own little place, just like you would get up and puff your pillow, make it nice and neat, fold your blankets, and have a nice bed that would pop a quarter if you dropped it on it because you were trained well to make a very tight bed when you made your bed in the morning because the Lord Jesus Christ had made, had made, Jesus Christ had made his bed and walked. And whether he had the angels do it or not, the Bible doesn't tell us, but someone did it. Either Jesus or his angels made the bed and put the linens there. And the Bible wants you to know this was the evidence in the tomb. And so we have it in three verses in a row. It was five, it was six, and now we're at seven. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. The detailed record of the burial clothes has strong resurrection value. If thieves stole a body under watch, they would not carry the body without its clothes. If thieves stole a body under watch, they would not leave the burial clothes folded. The haste of a robbery precludes unwrapping the body. The goal of a robbery precludes leaving valuables at all, linen, clothes, and spices, because there isn't any value in a body. Remember how the Roman soldiers were interested in the, cl in the clothes of Jesus. Remember how they, they took the four pieces and then they cast lots for the other piece? So that material was valuable, and Nicodemus and Joseph were both rich, and there was 100 pounds of spices. They should have been taken. What would you do with a body? without its clothes, other than contract a disease, except Jesus saw no corruption. Just keep that in mind. If it had been a robbery, the body would have been left with the burial clothes taken because it was fine linen and brand new. Verse 8. You know, there's another reason why, and I've mentioned this to you before, and I don't want to waste any time on it, but it's the Shroud of Turin. We have verse 7 in a King James Bible in John 20 and verse 7, because it denies the shroud of Turin by there being a napkin around the head of the Lord Jesus Christ and then burial clothes, the shroud of Turin has a face painted on the same cloth that the body's image is also left on. That can't be true because of John 20 and verse 7. And we have little children in here that can barely read that can figure that out by just having them read this verse and then look at the Shroud of Turin, which we have on our website. If you just type in Shroud, you'll get a long and detailed article about that fraud of the Roman Catholic Church. Verse 8, Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. If, if it doesn't register with your mind why the linen clothes are evidence, you've got to now. Because John saw and believed. 
Peter has gone in and seen a little bit more, and it's described to us in 6 and 7. John just saw peeking from the outside in verse 5. Peter sees more. John goes in there now and gets beside him, and they see the napkin for the head wrapped up, wrapped together and laid in its place, and the burial clothes folded up and laid in their place. And if you can't see it, and I've given you reasons why it's evidence that the person there rose from the dead. Where's the body? It's naked. It's three days dead. He rose from the dead. If you don't see it, you should see it at the end of verse 8 because it says, John went in and stood beside Peter, no longer stooping and looking from the outside. He went in and they both stood there and looked at the evidence. John had mentioned it in 5. It's mentioned via Peter's eyesight in verses 6 and 7. Now it's mentioned by John's eyesight in verse 8. And he saw and believed. Believed what? I'm not going to bore you with this, but when you see the outline, you'll understand that a lot of time has been put into trying to refute commentators that want to say, John believed Mary's report. That the body was gone. But when John uses the word believe, without an object, it's only one thing ever. And that's believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Well, if they didn't know the scripture, how did he believe? How did John believe in verse 8 if he didn't know the scripture in verse 9 that Jesus had to rise from the dead? Because he believed by pure evidence. Because he saw. He saw and he believed by pure evidence, not because of scripture. He was not making a case to fulfill scripture. He was just looking at the facts because God had pulled down a blind. He had pulled down a shade on their minds so that their report would be pure evidence. Not construction or viewing of evidence to make it fit scripture. They didn't believe the scriptures. They didn't remember anything Jesus had said to them. When they heard the women's report, what does it say in those gospel accounts we heard earlier? They did not believe. After they had seen the angel, they did not believe. After Mary had seen, they did not believe. They thought the women's reports were idle tales until they're inside. And then you understand why there are three verses about the linen clothes. It's evidence, not scripture. You say, I didn't, I didn't need any of this. I believe Jesus rose from the dead anyway. I'd like you to think about the first century, about 31 A.D., 33 A.D., 40 A.D., and these, uh, these apostolic eyewitness accounts being written and, and men reasoning through it and the Lord giving, blessing them to reason through it and see these accounts, have the eyewitness standing right there that has been preaching to them that day, have that eyewitness perform a miracle, the compounding of the evidence would be Jesus is alive. And it's just beautiful. That's why it's here. John 18, 19, 20, these chapters just list these facts, this evidence that Jesus did die, Jesus was buried, Jesus did rise from the dead. Not because the scripture said so, not because there was a conspiracy or collusion. No one took his body away. He rose from the dead, made his bed, and walked out. That is our Lord. 
and believed. Who's going to be the first to believe in this church? As the Lord shows us things, as you open the Bible, who's got the faith of John? See, I don't want to just leave this with what we've covered so far. I want us to have the passion of Mary and the faith of John and the boldness of Peter. Can we get him in there? Thomas, I can't figure him out yet what we need from him. This I do. Once he was shown the truth, he had the greatest confession of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. What did he call him over there? You want to see it? It's verse 28. My Lord and my God. Okay, Thomas, thank you. Let's have the passion of Mary, the speed of John, the faith of John, the boldness of Peter. And let's believe everything the Lord's given us in his word. And let's help each other do it. Do you see how John would have pulled Peter along? When you've got a rabbit in front of you, do greyhounds run faster? When you've got John in front of you, and Peter always did want to be up front, he would have been running behind John as fast as he could. And when he saw John stop, he knew, yep, here's where I come in. This is my gift. Blow right by him. Go right on in. Nothing happens to him. Then John says, you know, some, it's a grave. There's so many things that can be taught, and it's in my outline, and I'm, so, I'm sorry that I can't teach every single one of them, or will be on these few verses for a long time. Are you afraid of cemeteries? I love cemeteries. They're one of my favorite places to go because they're quiet. And because there's good information there, and there's good meditative value there. One of the best dates my wife and I ever had was on a motorcycle downtown Greenville. Thank you, Eric. At that, that big old cemetery downtown where they used to put epitaphs up. You know, the new save gas, save this, save that, the little plate in the ground where you can't have any words except your name. But it's different down there. What a date it was. It's so quiet. And to go from grave to grave and to know that there's people under your feet, their bodies... And the Lord's going to tear that place to shreds downtown. Everybody's going to come up out of there. The ones that died young, the one that, ones that died old, the couples that died close together, the ones that lived as widows for a long time, the ones that died in the wars, the various wars, and the ones that died and had great faith that Jesus would resurrect them. You know, the ones that say things like, watch where you're standing because I'm coming up. You know, I, I, serious downtown Greenville I want to hug that guy no matter how old and dusty he is or woman you know there's women with great faith in the Lord Jesus Christ there's verses of scripture typed out cost the money to declare their faith in the resurrection as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead, and that is there with a four, a coordinating conjunction to tell you why verse 8 is important, that he saw and believed, not that he read and believed. He saw and believed because there was real CSI evidence that Jesus had risen from the dead. Then the disciples went away again into their own home because they didn't know what was coming yet and they didn't know what to do. And the next message they're going to get is, Head for Galilee. I told you I'd meet you in Galilee. And they'll meet him that night, and they'll be in Galilee soon, and Jesus departed um, in 40 days. 
May the Lord bless the preaching of his word and cause us to love the resurrection in every way that I tried to give you earlier today and its importance to our religion and our faith. Amen.